You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Dave Rowan. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Blocks, business leadership organized for Catholic schools. Dave, welcome to the show. Laura, thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity to be on here and excited for our conversation today. Thank you. Tell us a little bit more about Blocks and you. What is your 30-second elevator pitch? As you reference, I'm Dave Rowan. I'm the CEO of Blocks Business Leadership Organized for Catholic Schools. We are an independent nonprofit organization which provides scholarships, need-based scholarships, to students throughout the Philadelphia area, to both Catholic and non-Catholic schools through the Pennsylvania State Tax Credit Program. Our primary focus, I will say, is the inner city at Catholic schools. But more than 60% of the students who even go there aren't Catholic. It's about providing them a quality education. A school choice is providing that. We're blessed that Pennsylvania has a tax credit program. It's called the EITC Tax Credit Program, which, again, provides families, individuals, and corporations to redirect their Pennsylvania taxes that they pay, redirect at the tuition-based schools. Those funds are then used to provide scholarships to students of need. That's really beautiful to have the opportunity to choose where you want your state tax money to go and to support children who otherwise would not have access to quality education to help them get the best possible education uh, for, for their children. And that's and it can be for Catholic schools, but it doesn't have to be. It can be for Jewish schools, can be for non-parochial schools, for any sort of private schools, correct? Not even just can, Laura. It is that way. So again, it's not, it's not just even though our name is Business Leadership Organized for Catholic Schools, it's about all schools that are tuition-based schools in Philadelphia. And again, it goes back to providing families that don't have that access to high-quality education. So unfortunately, you know, the, the public school system, specifically within the city of Philadelphia, is really it's struggling. It's not doing well. With only 67% of the kids graduating versus 90% of the kids graduating at our schools, whether there are archdiocese schools or, again, non-Catholic schools throughout the area. But still giving kids the opportunity to that to get that best quality education. So it, I'm guessing it started out specifically for Catholic schools, and then it ev- it evolved over time and is now much more uh, inclusive, which is great. So the more people we can help, the better. I mean, we have over again over a thousand donors, and again, the donor designates, and they this program gives them the choice of what schools that they want to support. We work with them on what schools may need it more. But even someone going to, say, one of the, the a prep school in Philadelphia, the money is still going to students who would not have that access. So imagine, imagine giving a kid from the inner city the access to a prep school and what that can do for them, not only them, and taking back in the community they live in. It truly is a powerful message and a powerful program that we're blessed to be part of. Absolutely life-changing for those students. I can only imagine. Dave, what's your favorite part of your job and why? Favorite part of the day is waking up every day knowing that truly through our donors and through our schools that we're helping provide these kids a brighter future. 
I mean, again, it's not the kids' fault sometimes that they don't have the financial access to their family. So knowing that we're providing that and seeing the stories that come out of it, you know, we do these mini vignettes about these kids and the successes that they've had. And they're so thankful for our donors and they're so thankful for the partners teaching them at the school, mentoring them. And then they go on and be successful and they take that back to their community. That just resonates with us and our donors every single day. So it's an honor to be part of that, Laura. From there, Dave, what's one of the biggest issues of the day? And how do you have to adjust your approach when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups about it? Really good question. And we really kind of break it down in a couple of ways. One, the biggest, the biggest need is there's now data and proof that this program works. Again, as I referenced, showing the education, the graduation rates, showing the difference in the STEM rates, the math and science scores of kids attending these tuition-based schools is significantly higher than the public schools in a lot of reasons. So that gives us the opportunity then to go to talk to the various constituents that make up this program. As I referenced, it's a state program. So thanking and talking to the politicians across the entire state, not just Philadelphia, about the importance of the one, thanking them for the budget dollars that they put to this program, showing them and the through data the impact that they're making, and asking them to continue to increase the budget and, and continue to care about the ones that we're not able to, to help. Because you know, even though we're able to provide over 16,000 scholarships, it's more than double to three times of students who would like to be able to have that opportunity. So working with the local and statewide politicians to increase that budget is really, really important. Meeting with the donors, and again, showing the donors the difference that you make. There's a lot of unbelievable, great ways, right? Someone can donate their money, but being able to do it to education, you know, it's a shame, but Philadelphia, we're the number one poverty rate in the country. And how are you going to change that? The best way to change that is education and providing this tax credit program through, again, blocks. Again, we're the conduit. We are the conduit from the donors to the schools and then to those wonderful children to have the opportunity. So meeting with donors and know that when they make a donation, there's a measurable impact. Again, graduation scores, STEM scores. And it's not just uh, kids going to college. We're really fortunate that we have some phenomenal schools that are trade schools. The Father Judge High School, which is a high school located in the Philadelphia area, has a welding program. Imagine a high school with a welding program. And it's within, again, one of our great schools. They had two individuals this year graduate and start with jobs that were over $75,000 and other ones that, again, full certificates in welding. So that's going to give them an opportunity to be better prepared in life. So we have the politicians that we thank and how we need more, the donors and saying, here's the impact you're making and, hey, refer us to additional donors. And then to our schools, just continuing to provide that high quality education and values and mentoring to the students that come there. Because they're there eight hours a day, the kids. You have a great opportunity to impress on them the importance of this. That's beautiful. And when, in talking to all these different stakeholder groups, who's one of the toughest audiences you ever had to get through to and why? And how'd you do it? Not related to the tax credit program, but in one of my future lives, I was always in sports prior to this helping teams launch, building teams from the beginning, NFL teams in Jacksonville, minor league baseball teams. But one of the favorite ones I had, Laura, was the Philadelphia Union, which is in the Major League Soccer. It's in Chester, Pennsylvania. Chester, Pennsylvania, for those who don't know it, is the highest 
murder rate and crime rate across the entire state of Pennsylvania. It is a really, really bad, bad and challenged area. And people said, wait a minute, you're going to build a stadium in Chester? Why would you do that? Why would it's not going to be safe? It's going to get ransacked and harassed and vandalized. And then you want people to come to it. You want people who live, you know, in the nice suburbs to drive down to Chester. You want sponsors to help, you know, become sponsors of the team. It was really, really hard. But we said, you know what? We believe we can make an impact and a difference in this community. We know by working with the community and the residents, it can give them a beacon of hope. It could give them something to believe in so we can differentiate from all the problems that are there in Chester. It's like anything else. You always hear the bad news. You don't hear the good news. And there's a lot more good out there in whatever area, a bad area, a good area. There's a lot of good people who want to make a difference. So in partnering with the city of the city and the residents of Chester, we got support that we could then go to the state and say, hey, invest some of those budget dollars, enterprise cake. Keystone State budget dollars that will help businesses grow in the Chester area instead of just turning an eye to it. So we were successful in helping getting funding from the state to build a stadium in Chester. From fan standpoint, we showed them that look at this beautiful stadium. And again, the great game of soccer. You think of soccer. Soccer is all these different neighborhoods and people coming together for the one reason of celebrating and being together. That's what sports does. It kind of breaks down the barriers. So we're able to get fans little by little to come to the stadium. We made it easy for them. We said, here's the directions. Here's where you, you, you go. Here's where you park. And when they got there, they were greeted. They were greeted not just by us, but by residents of Chester. Chester has the highest unemployment rate in the state. We were able to put over 700 people to work on a day of game. They were Chester residents. And the stadium became kind of their trophy. Like, look at us. We can be successful. And, you know, the MLS even had questions. Oh, you're going to put it in Chester. We started to, again, we showed our attendance. We were selling out the building. People were coming and they were taking that news back. The residents were being so proud about, they, we now have this. The other stadiums with the Phillies and the Flyers and Eagles are beautiful. They're, they're in the, you know, South Philadelphia. This was our own stadium. This was Chester's own stadium. And it truly was one of the most amazing things I ever been involved with the state, with the politicians who helped support it, with our fans, but more importantly, with those people in Chester who just needed an opportunity. That's really amazing. And and I have been to a number of the union games over the years, and there's always an energy about it. The the crowd, the stadium's always full, and it's always full of people who are just completely passionate about it. There's no like off season versus, you know, kind of half-baked people are here, but not really paying attention. Oh no, their hearts and voices are in it 100% from start to finish. There's really an, a fun energy and passion in the, in the soccer stadium. It truly was. And again, that's, as I referenced, I've been involved with a lot of teams and starting teams, but that one just there was something different. Uh, just, it, was, it was more than the game. It was life-changing. That's amazing. And that's what we want. That seems to be the theme of our day today is about how we're changing people's lives. Now, this brings us, Dave, to the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge. This is an opportunity for you to talk directly to the audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I love it. You can make a difference. So you know what? I did this with my family five years ago, and we now do it annually. You know, between Thanksgiving, leading to Thanksgiving or, or Christmas, Take an afternoon or a day 
and volunteer at a location, whether it is a food bank, whether it is a charity that, again, provides toys or gifts to to underprivileged, just don't donate money. Take your time and donate yourself, your family, if you can bring friends and go and do that. Just don't, again, writing a check, it's important. Don't get me wrong. I love the check, <laughs> but being able to challenge you. So I challenge you to think of somewhere where you can go donate your time and feel the impact of that, that commitment. It made a major impact on my kids. They now say, hey, dad, where are we going this year? Or can we, do we want to go back to Camden? Or do we want to go to Chester? Or what about doing this? So getting them involved, that's a challenge I put forth to people. Find a, a place and commit that time. It really does make a difference when you have the hands-on ability to connect with the people that you, even if you are going to write a check to them, to meet people directly and and to, to share those eye contact moments, those handshake moments, those service moments. I think when I was 19, it was in my economics class that I was in Washington, D.C. My professor, one of the projects that we had to do for the semester, everybody had to volunteer somewhere and he had a whole list of places around the city that we could go and volunteer. And mine was at a soup kitchen. And I just remember what an incredible experience it was when you know, it was in some, you know, little community center kind of a thing, you know, just not a particularly noticeable building one way or another, but there was an old piano in the back and I'm sitting there scooping out plates of food just in my assembly line role, uh, apron and hairnet and all that kind of fun stuff. And all of a sudden I realized somebody's playing the piano and I thought, oh, that's kind of pretty. And, and I looked over and I realized it was actually one of the men who had just finished eating. And it wasn't like he was playing chopsticks. It occurred to me, he's playing Chopin. Wow. And it was such a, just, uh, it hit me because I thought you, you have all these preconceived notions about, well, who would be at a soup kitchen? What's, what's wrong with them? You know, what did they do? Were they bad people? You know, all my 19 year old thoughts about and stereotypes and all this kind of thing. And it, it suddenly hit me, something happened to this person. He was raised most likely with means, with with parents or somebody who was able to provide that, not just a decent education. You know, so who knows what befalls people, whether it was medical bills that just wrecked havoc on his family finances or you know something else. But boy, I had such a different experience of empathy and realization of my own mental stereotypes and assumptions I was making. And it just shifted my perspective for the rest of life at that point. Clearly, you know, it's now been at least three, five years since then. Sure since that moment, but I will never forget how, how that hit me. So everybody go out, please, and, and do take Dave's challenge, especially as the holidays are coming up and think about how to give of time and of your heart and of yourself. But you know what? Write those checks too, because those organizations could use that help as well. Laura, I got to tell you, I, I loved how excited and invigorated you got in telling this story, your personal story. And that again, is that's why I put forth that challenge to people. Go and do it. And I think, you know, Laura and I both would say, you're really going to feel it and make a huge difference. So thank you for your excitement, Laura. It was definitely an experience that was life-changing for me. And and you know what? I, I was also aware of there, but for the grace of God, go I. So to be that much more grateful for the fact that it was perhaps a little bit of an inconvenience on my time to have to be there and serving for that day, but I would much rather have spent that day on that side of the buffet line serving the lunch than having to be waiting in the line, hoping to get the scoop. Very true. And that was really uh, perspective changing as well. So from there, okay, those are some successes that we've had. But Dave, you know, we always make mistakes along the way on our learning curves and journeys as well. So 
What's a communication-related mistake you've made? We all make them. And, you know, it's a great opportunity to learn when you, when you make them. Probably one of the craziest ones I've made. So I was working with a private facility management company at that point in time, managing stadiums, arenas, facilities, ski slopes, convention centers all across the country. And through the CEO of our company, he had a personal relationship with the CEO of Scott Paper, international company, large, large international company. They were based in Philadelphia. So we, I came up with this concept along with our staff saying for our ski slope properties, think about, you know, when you go to the ski slope, right, and you get off the lift or you get on the lift, it's pretty cold. And, you know, you may have a little bit of the sniffles, your nose running, whatever. I'm like, imagine if when you got on the slope or off the slope, if there was this big display there and it was, you know, tissues and you get off there, but again, branded. So it would have, you know, Scott, no, 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 Scott tissues on there, big brand, and he could tie it back to a retail promotion. So our CEO sets up this meeting with the CEO of Scott Paper. He brings in all of his high-end people as marketing people, as operations people, the retail sector people. And it's uh, myself and our marketing people. And we had all the dog and, you know, dog and uh, pony ready to go. And I start walking through the presentations and I'm like, imagine getting off that slope. And there is a box of, you know, a box of Kleenexes. I couldn't get the word back in my mouth quick enough because Kleenex was a brand of their competitor. Not Scott Tissue. Ouch. But I'm like, it's Kleenex. And I don't know how I did it, but I caught myself and I'm like, that's exactly the look on your face. That's why you need to invest in this because people think of tissues. They think of the Kleenex brand. Here is a great way to, again, rebrand that. I don't think they believed that I did that purposely, but it was a gas. Thankfully, they bought into the program and it turned out to be very successful. But again, it was one that uh, I, I still kind of cringe when I think I said that to say the least. Oh my gosh, we all have those moments where we hear ourselves say something and our brain, it's like it goes into slow motion and you hear yourself go, no. <laughs> right, you the know, slowest of slow motion. Oh, it's right? excruciatingly painful. <laughs> you know, how can I rewind that, that fishing reel and just bring it all right back in? But it's so common when we think about branding. There are lots of brand names that have become so common that they're, that they're synonymous now. They're interchangeable with the generic reference. So tissue, do you have a Kleenex? means do you have a tissue regardless of what Xerox. brand you don't care is Xerox exactly Xerox people say it Q-tips Q-tip is a one or Coke you know do you have a Coke or, you mean well we have Pepsi well okay we, whatever that doesn't it's all the same thing to many people there are those who are absolutely brand religious and don't believe in deviation but uh, those those references absolutely know your competitor you know I made the same mistake once not it was not a an oral gaffe but it was a visual gaffe where I was doing a training and it was for a Cisco, the tech company. And uh, on one of my slides, and this is a training I'd done a million times. We were talking about virtual space. And I realized on one of my slides, I didn't realize it, but I clicked over to a slide and I heard something I'd never heard before. Somebody booed. And I went, what? They, that's definitely not something that I'm accustomed to in any capacity. And then I looked at the screen and I realized there was a picture of Zoom. And Cisco makes WebEx. Oops. Oh, no kidding. Yes. So it's not just that the people didn't like being virtual. It's that I had their competitor 
up. And uh, so it becomes, how do you turn that around? And what I ended up doing was saying, okay, let's, and I, I joined in on the booing right there. I was like, oh, bad presenter, bad trainer, you know, know who your audience is, make sure you've checked through this. Okay. There's my gaffe. But I said, why do you think this happened? Because I spent a lot of time looking for my, for my graphics. And I said, when I looked through all the different images that were available for me to use, and it, it's not just about one that's accurate, but it also has to be high quality resolution and available here and there. I said, how come with all the ones that I looked through, I didn't find any high quality resolution, good, accurate framings of a WebEx image? I picked Zoom because it was available. I said, I don't know why, but who's going to help me solve this problem? And moving forward, who's going to commit to partnering with me so that when you leave here today, you're going to find the Zisco image and you're going to send it to me so I can replace the Zoom image and use that as my default presentation graphic moving forward. Six hands go up in the air. And at the end of the day, as we were debriefing, people come up and talk to me. The By far, the most referenced point that anybody said was, Laura, I am so glad that you screwed up that way because the best part of the day was watching you pitch your way out of trouble. That was the strongest learning point that I took away from the entire experience. And I thought, okay, whatever works. You know, if you felt like that was useful, terrific. But man, you got to be able to tap dance fast in those moments. And those branding moments are definitely moments where you just want to tuck your tail between your legs and slink away as fast as possible. I was kind of glad they paid me in advance, frankly. But that, that, <laughs> that, it didn't always have that. Very good. I didn't, I didn't get paid in advance. No, but it definitely makes a difference, doesn't it? All right. So, Dave, then what's an approach that you've used to address an accountability issue with someone on your team? Direct and clear communication. So, again, I'll use an example when I, I worked at a, an NFL team, and I won't, won't say what team, but I oversaw the sales and marketing, and we had a sales goals, and each individual rep, you know, had a list of business that they needed to accomplish and develop and to service. They needed to hit certain level of goals. And there was one individual who constantly struggled, met with him multiple times face to face and worked on, okay, what are the challenges you're facing? Okay, let's work on overcoming them. Are you, is it cold calling? Is it getting past the guard dog, the, the assistants, the staff? Is it that you're not comfortable with what we're selling? And so we would work on each of those individually, but ultimately, Laura, he just was not making it. He was not hitting his sales numbers and was pulling the rest of the group down. And I had to meet with him and let him go. And it was, it was very hard, but it was the right decision. And I give him credit. He understood why. And he understood why as much a month later after letting him go. And he always wanted to work in sports. So imagine you know, your dream being, you know, harpoon. A month later, he called me and he thanked me. And he said, you really helped me. You helped me better focus on what I think I'm good at and what I'm not. And that wasn't the role for me. And I'm going down. I have an opportunity for an interview going forward next week with this company. He went and he not only got the interview, he crushed it. He thanked me and called me back a day later and said, Thank you again. And would you be in my wedding? (laughs) And I've been a mentor to him since then. And so proud to see he has his own insurance company now and has built a wonderful life, both personally and professionally. So again, I go back to meeting with your staff and being clear with them. And sometimes it's not good news, but being clear and honest with them and hoping hoping them be successful in whatever that direction would be. Yeah, I would imagine that's hard when you do actually have to let somebody go. But if you can tell it's just not a good fit, then really to keep them there in many ways is a disservice to them 
as well as to you and your clients and whoever else that they're serving. So not personal. No, I mean, it's personal. Well, it's not personal and it is personal. It's not personal that from the standpoint of you're not doing it because you don't like them. You want them to be successful. If they're a good quality person and they show the effort and all that, and they did, but it just, again, as you reference, wasn't the right path for them at that point in time. Yeah, I, I think all the time, I, not that I could ever imagine myself being in an accounting job, but if I was, chances are I would not be doing the best job possible. And I would hope that someone would have mercy enough to make me go find something else to, as a way to uh, share my gifts with the world because they would definitely not be shining there. I'm right there with you. I know better on that one. Then Dave, tell me a little bit about as in the hybrid workspace, what's one of your main concerns or pet peeves and what's your ideal solution? You know, the ability, I, I do think as a society, and again, maybe I'm prejudiced because I have four kids, but I, you know, the world of today communicating this way. Everybody with their heads down and just on two thumbs. Well, I, I don't want to call them. I don't want to call them. I mean, it's funny. I, I saw a funny Sebastian uh, Maniscalco piece last night about, you know, 10, 20 years back, the doorbell rang. Everybody went to, ran to, you know, the family ran to the door and welcomed them in and, oh, come on in. We're going to have the Edmonds and have some coffee and you stay there for hours. Now that happens, people are like, oh my God, who's at the door? Good duck and hide. So, you know, it's not just because of, you know, during COVID and the time that we were separated, but I think that that almost accelerated some of that between the social media and not having that eye to eye and that voice to voice contact. So that's something that I, I try to work with my, my children and even, you know, wherever I worked it, pick up the phone and call an email, right? I could send an email. I could say, thank you. Or I could pick up the phone and say, Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Just your delivery of that message is a totally different way than I think we got used to during the days of COVID in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. That ability to just hear someone's voice and hear the thank you as opposed to, I mean, look, a text message is better than nothing. An email is better than a text message. A phone call is better than just the, the greater the degree of connection. I think the more heartfelt and the more people will appreciate the effort put into it. It doesn't have to be a 45 minute conversation, but nevertheless, make it personal. Some people may not remember Dale Carnegie training, but Dale Carnegie, I went through that training and, and you always hear people like to hear their name. Yes. And they like to be told thank you. Because again, there's enough negativity out there, as I referenced earlier, in, in whatever you know sector of the world. So being able to, to thank somebody and, and to appreciate them really does give them an opportunity to, you know, a little extra pep in their step maybe that day. Sure. So cost you nothing. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't, there's no cost. And I think people will work harder if they're on your team if they do get credit. And it's not that they need an attaboy, it's not that they need you know, public credit, but if nothing else, the affirmation that they're doing well, that they are producing what you want them to produce, that they're performing at a high standard. Everybody wants that validation because nobody wants to walk around going, I'm trying really hard. I don't know if I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm guessing you're certainly clear on telling me what I'm not doing something right, but I don't want to have to infer when you're happy with my work. If you could tell me, that would just help confirm and, you know, allay any fears I have and allow me to just keep going on full bore and performing for you in a way that makes us both happy. It's funny you reference that. Probably one of the proudest things I have whenever I've left a place of work, because I will admit every like five to six years, I like to go and start over, whether it's a rebrand or it's a start from the beginning. But wherever I've gone, wherever I've left, 
I'm really proud of the group that we left that I left behind. I'm really proud of the friendships and the bond that we formed and why they were formed because there was that two-way communication and there was that honesty, even when, again, times of the conversations had to be tough. They may not like it, but if they're a good fit for your culture of your organization, they'll respect that. Again, they may not like it being told that they're not performing well, but ultimately, if they're the right fit for your organization, they'll respect it. If they're not, then yes, you have to make the decision that's in the best interest of the organization and move on possibly without them. Sure. And I think along with being told that they're not performing well enough to whatever standard it is, helping to understand where the gap is and how to close it. So it's facilitative of helping them be more successful, not just letting them know you're a hot mess. Shame on you. That's that's when you're looking to build that relationship. I think that the clarity on how to perform at their highest level and empowering them to do so is is the the key that ties it all together. And speaking of that, as far as establishing those relationships as a huge part of culture, as Peter Drucker famously said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So what's a communication pattern that's had a big cultural impact, positive or negative, on a team that you are part of? I may surprise you this one. So again, I'm, I won't say the team, but there was a team that I worked for and the, the leader of that team, top of the, you know, the food chain of the organization. You're talking a professional sports team? Professional sports team, okay. both internally and externally, okay. was not respected. Was brilliant, unbelievably brilliant, but was not respected and alienated both internal and external you know, customers, guests, fans, staff. Hmm. And you know, it, it was hard to not go to work, but it was hard because I, I, I'm, I'm kind of self-driven, but seeing especially younger staff be confused and not prosper, not do as well as they could, not flourish was really tough to see. Thankfully, the owner uh, recognized this. And even though that individual was unbelievably valuable in getting the, the foundation set, it was time for a change for the organization to go forward. So could you give an example of something they did that was so toxic? In that in the communication style, a lot of stadiums aren't built in the best area, mm-hmm. and the reason why is the land is is less expensive there. So a state or a municipality or whatever may be more willing. Like I referenced, Chester wasn't valuable area compared to Center City, Philadelphia. So you may have a better opportunity. So this individual said, "Well, I know it's not the best neighborhood, but I don't think you'll get shot if you come <laughs> down here." And he said it kind of. You know, facetiously, it didn't matter. He said it and it. He said it publicly. He said it in an interview or something. How is a worker, you supposed to come in and say, oh, yeah, this is great. When the neighborhood who you're trying to embrace, again, as I referenced, we did a good job with that, you know, in Chester. You did not. You pushed them away. The people, you know, the sponsors. Why would you want to sponsor something that says that? And that was just one of multiple ways of type of comments. And again, Credit for what that individual did to get the organization first on a financial standpoint, but then he was not the right individual to lead that organization going forward. No, certainly not for a community liaison and relationship development. It sounds like uh, diplomacy was not part of his God-given skill set, as it were. It was not, to say the least. Well, it sounds like he found the right person to replace him and things, things went up after that. Very much so. All right, Dave, well, thank you so much for joining us today. How can people learn more about you and Blocks? 
So first of all, we would love that. There's so much opportunity again to help kids. Kids need every opportunity they can. And that's what, you know, we are able to be the conduit to do that. It's not us, but again, it's you, the donors and prospective donors. So I'd ask you to go to our website at blocks, B-L-O-C-S dot org. Again, that's B-L-O-C-S dot org. Go through our great websites, see some, some, some of the great videos that we have on there that show the impact that you're making and your, your commitment would be made. Yes, it's primarily for Pennsylvania residents because it is a PA tax grant program, but you also can just make a straight cash contribution or a donation that's not tied into a tax credit, especially as we're again going into you know the holidays and everything else. It's a great opportunity for you to make a difference. And if nothing else, it sounds like if you're not in the Pennsylvania region, that it's still good for inspiration for ideas. Then maybe go and talk to your own representation, you know, your own politicians to see what might be possible in your home state as well. It's a great model. As they say, what imitation is the best form of flattery? Yeah, sure. Yes, it would be a great opportunity. It's you know, this type of program is around about 14 states now, but it needs to be across the country. Yes. Families need to have the choice of where they go to school. You know, your zip code shouldn't dictate if your school is in an underperforming area. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Dave, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Laura, truly is my pleasure. And thank you for all you do. And thank you for inspiring me today. And to everybody else out there, thank you for joining us. As always, anybody newly joining us today, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And of course, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify all the usual suspect platforms so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.